last week we talked about how do we hold on to faith? How do we persevere through all of the challenges that life throws at us? All of the circumstances. And, and one of the things that we got from Scripture last week in Hebrews chapter 10, 23 is that God doesn't want us to go at it alone. That He has called us into a community. That's why it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. And that we should consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. And so one way that we hold on is through a communal effort, through community, through encouragement to one another. But that's not the only component to salvation, is there? That's one aspect of it. That's one strength. That's one blessing that we receive in following God, that we get to be called out, it says in 1 Peter 2.9, that we become the people of God. We're in it together. But I also want to remind you today that there are things, spiritual things, that are just between you and God Almighty. There are some things that are just between you and God. Now I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that you've got a friend that's losing weight. And for some of us, there's maybe some friends who are actually trying to do that. But this friend is not like the many friends that you have that are on a diet. No, this friend is so skinny. They're emaciated. They look unhealthy. And everyone is concerned about this friend. Everybody's talking about, why is this friend getting so thin? Why are they not looking so well? And so you get it into your mind that you want to bring this friend to a buffet. It's going to be a good buffet. I like a buffet. I'm always trying to get a good deal. Always looking at my receipts. We talked about that yesterday. Who, what guys look at the receipts? What guys and girls look at the receipts? I like to look at my receipt. I like to have a good deal. And so you bring this friend to the buffet. You come back and you got your big plate, all your favorite things. And there your friend is. They're sitting there and they don't have any food. You say, hey man, it's on me. Come on, go, go to the buffet, get you something to eat. And they say, I'm going to let you eat from me. No, I, you eat from me. Now, does that work? Does that work? Does it work that someone else can eat for you? That's a bad strategy. That's the reason why they're so emaciated. No one can eat for you. Now, let's, let's take another thought here. Wouldn't you like it if someone could go to the gym for you? Boy, that would be nice. Just go to the gym for me. You know, I, I feel tired. I, I want to watch some movies. Go to the gym for me. I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. Does The same thing. I wish I could make someone else feel better sometimes. 
I see people who are depressed, despondent, who are low. Don't you wish you could just get into their life and make them feel better? But at the end of the day, you can't make someone else feel better. You can try. You can take them to the buffet. You can give them a gym membership. You can speak words of encouragement to them. You can buy them gifts. But at the end of the day, the choice is theirs. Whether to feel good or not. Same thing is true spiritually. There are some things with God I can't do for you and you can't do for me. There's some things that your parents can't do for you. There's some things that your grandparents can't do for you. There are some things that are only between you and God Almighty. Isn't it interesting what we do with personal responsibility? The phrases and the things that we do, when it comes to our responsibility, my obligation, what do I do? Haven't you heard some statements that are strange when we talk about personal responsibility? I'll give you one. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And I hear that sometimes. And the first thing that's baffling is, is that number one, no, God isn't the only one that can judge you. In fact, people do it all day long. In fact, Jesus even said, agree with your adversary while you're in the way with them, lest he turns you over to the judge and then to the officer and then to the jail. But the other thing that I find so interesting about that statement, only God can judge me, is, is that usually people are justifying not good behavior, but they're justifying not so good behavior. Only God can judge me. You're right, God will judge you. And God will judge me, and, and I should take that very, very seriously. What else do we do with our personal responsibility? And this is, this is preacher talk right here because what we do is we like to focus on other people's problems. Right? If, to not think about what I owe God and what I owe to my wife and to, and to the church and to whoever in my life. Well, I like to focus on what you owe and on your responsibilities and your problems because then it gets it off mine. And we begin to focus so much. And that's why advice is so easy to give. And it's easy to make decisions about things in which we have no responsibility. I can make a great decision for you if you want me to. What do you need advice for? I can give you all kinds of advice. Come, please sit down. I want to tell you what I know. Well, I don't want to talk about my life. I want to talk about your life. We evade our personal responsibility by looking at other people. It's kind of like spending other people's money. Have you noticed how easy it is to spend other people's money? But when it comes to your own earned money, it, it, it sticks a little closer to your pockets, don't it? Advice is kind of like that. It's easier to concentrate on other people's problems. Or what we do is, is that we like to make excuses, right? 
man, I've gotten really good at making excuses sometimes. I'm glad my wife stepped out. <laughs> or we deflect the grievance or we excusiate that grievance. We try to complicate it, don't we? Benjamin Franklin said this, he that is good at for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Because if you're concentrating your energy and your time and your thought and your effort into making excuses, what are you avoiding? Well, your responsibility. We can't forget this with our responsibility. What do we like to do? We like to blame other people. It's not my fault. Somebody else's. And this is another futile, inefficient way because if we're constantly pointing out to other people who we can't control, newsflash, I can't control what anyone does, then I'm having no power over my life because I'm blaming other people. But what's interesting, if we flip it, we like to take all the credit, but we don't like to take any of the blame. But if something good happens, well, I'll step right up. That was, yeah, that was me. But the blame game doesn't help us do it. Or we like to talk about the past. Whether it's the, the deficits of other people. If someone comes to you with the personal responsibility, here's what you need to do. You're not doing it. And then we say, well, so-and-so last week didn't do it either. Or we talk about our successes, like that accomplishes. Hey, you know what? Two weeks ago, I did something really good. But does that solve the problem of right now? No. We're just getting away from personal responsibility, aren't we? What's another thing we do? Someone comes to you about your responsibility, maybe at work or in your life, and then we all of a sudden, we just start talking about our character. Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, I'm really good. But does that have anything to do with what you haven't done? Maybe. Emerson said it like this, your actions speak so loudly I cannot hear what you're saying. Sometimes our actions are so loud no one's going to ever listen to what we say, especially when it's contrary to what we're saying. And then another popular thing that we do with personal responsibility, when someone calls us out, we start attacking people. Oh, that, no, 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 no. You may be looking at me, but you need to look over here. Here's someone else worse than me. Over here. This person's worse than me. These people are bad over here. I know I'm kind of bad, but these people are more bad. And we start attacking. And what evades us is that we're escaping our own responsibility. And that is what Philippians 2 is all about. Those things that are just between you and God. What I like about this in verse 12, Paul begins by saying, therefore, my beloved. He begins with the thought, this is very important, when you begin with this conversation of responsibility, he begins it by saying, hey, you're my beloved. He begins with love. And doesn't that make a difference when someone begins a conversation about 
responsibility and obligation and all those things. When someone says, hey, I love you. I'm telling you, I love you. And this is where this is rooted in. Because love is the root of all goodness and transformation. And the church is here to love people more than they hate themselves. You know that? The church is here to love people more than they hate themselves. And people hate themselves. They may not know it. It may be disguised. It may be disguised as some vice. It may be disguised as some abusive relationship. It may be disguised as something glamorous. But at the end of the day, there are people who actually hate themselves. And the church is here to love them more than that. More than they hate themselves. Well, guess what? That means ministry and church work gets to be a little messy. Gets to be a little difficult. Gets to be challenging. Remember that old saying, nobody cares how much you know until how much they know how much you care. And isn't that true spiritually? we got to begin with love. We got to begin with care. We got to begin with compassion. Because all of a sudden, those words can take root in a heart. And then what Paul says is he says, as you have always obeyed, he's talking about obedience here. As you've always obeyed, he's talking to the Philippian church. He's saying, you've always obeyed. And here's the thing obedience has to transcend our circumstance. It does, because obedience is our highest calling, our greatest purpose, and our deepest meaning. And I want you to listen to this. If your obedience, if you're waiting for your circumstances to get right to obey God, you're not looking for obedience, you're looking for convenience. Because the thing, the struggle in life spiritually is, is that the circumstances are never going to be perfect. And I don't know what's not perfect in your circumstances right now, but your obedience to God has to transcend that. And it's within those circumstances that the metal, the makeup of our commitment is really, really known. The commitment of a relationship or character. I always relish the good days. I try to relish every good day in my life when the when the sun is shining, when the bank account isn't negative, Amen. when there's food on the table. But my greatest revelation has not come when things were well. The greatest revelation of any of my commitments have come not when the sun was shining, but in those darkest storms. And it's there that God reveals who you are and what you're truly, truly committed to. And that's what Paul says. He says, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You see, Paul's saying... Don't wait for me to be in your, in your presence for you to be obedient. Just like sometimes at church, it's easy to be obedient in the presence of, of good people. 
But we have to be obedient out there when it gets difficult. And Paul says, don't make me a variable in your obedience. Obey whether I'm here or not. And luckily and beautifully, the Philippian church were that church that obeyed even in his absence. He, he also says in Ephesians that our obedience is not to be eye service. As men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God. And so there's this idea that sometimes our obedience is easy, and it is, when people are looking. Right? I just remember back when I was a little kid and it was time to clean the room. If you're an eye pleaser, then guess what happens? I was an eye pleaser. So I can clean up my room in like two minutes. You know how? What you do is you just take everything and you throw it underneath the bed. The problem with that strategy is, is that if, if, if daddy and mom are hollering to give you a book whoop, whooping, then you can't hide under the bed because there's too much stuff under there now. That kind of backfired on me. The room looked good, but I couldn't hide anymore. Men pleasers. Eyesight. Paul also gets to this idea, he says, work out. And this idea is not that what we do earns us salvation because what we do does not earn us salvation. You can't earn it. It's a gift. God offers it to you as a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself it is a gift of God. But that doesn't mean that there's not effort involved in following Jesus because there is. Because salvation came at a great cost, didn't it? It came at a great cost. Christ died for our sins. And that tells us, number one, the importance of redemption. How important is you being saved? Jesus died for you. It also shows us the very picture of what true obedience looks like. And that personal effort is involved. You see, here's the long story short. Jesus did not die on the cross for me to live as a heathen. I've tried it. It didn't work. It doesn't bring glory to God. God did not send His Son to die so that we could live a self-centered life. He died and was raised that we might break free from the reign of sin and death and live victorious, liberated by grace and life. That means when I see what Christ has done, it transforms the very life that I have. Paul says it teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The grace of God changes us. Work it out. He also says this, listen to this, your own. Your own salvation, your own what do you think you own? What do I think I own? I want you to go look in your car. Look in the glove compartment. I want you to go home. Look in your closet. I want you to go look in your bank account. What do you really own? Let me tell you what you own. One thing in your entire existence, and that is the choices you make. That's absolutely it. That's all you got is the choices. That, doesn't that change the way that you look 
at following God and making choices when that's the only thing you owe own is is your choice. That's it. God gives you this choice, this gift, and he says, hey, it's yours. Do with it as you want. And that's really the only thing we own in this life are our choices. Then he says this, your own salvation. No greater subject to talk about than salvation. No loftier, it is the sublimest of subjects. You being saved, you being justified, redeemed, reconciled, cleansed, forgiven. That's the most important subject that there is. How am I going to be saved? Jesus says, there's only one way. And that's me, he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Christ says in John 14, 6. And then some people say, well, what about all the other guys? There's some really smart people out there that have said some really great things. What about all these other religious teachers and so on? But have you ever thought about this? What have they done for you? The only thing any other teacher has ever given the world is one thing, advice. Not so with Jesus. Not so. Why do we follow Jesus? Because He interjects His life into yours. He interjects His death into your story. Why do I follow Jesus? It's because He interjected His life into mine when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. What other teacher has ever done anything like that? If you can find one, please let me know. That's the huge difference between who Jesus is. And that means there's salvation. There's salvation not only in the eternal, which is grand and beautiful and important because eternality lasts forever, don't it? But it also means there's salvation to now that by beginning to follow in Jesus, I have salvation right now by being His disciple. That my children have salvation now. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is not talking about an emotional state that God's trying to get us to live in because Paul says that He has not given us a spirit of fear but of one of power and love and sound mind in in Timothy. But this is a spiritual way of expressing the urgency of salvation. And that ultimately salvation is about one thing, and that is today. Because last I checked, I can't do anything about yesterday. And tomorrow isn't promised. And so I have to live in this moment because salvation is always a matter of today. And every day will give you a distinct requirement. Today God's asking you to do something. I don't know what it is. There may be something that He's leading you to do in your heart and your mind. I don't know what it is. But tomorrow, there'll be another choice to make. And after that, God willing, there will be another choice that God is asking you to make with fear, reverence, and trembling, and urgency. 
And in verse 13, it gives us this promise. For it is, who, it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Isn't that interesting? That in, in verse 12, you have this very individualistic thing. And then that you have this choice. And then in the very next verse, it's, it's, it's about God's sovereignty and about God's power that He is working in your life as you make decisions for Him. Isn't that wonderful? Or as Paul says in chapter 1, verse 6, being confident to this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in our lives and He wants to complete that work. And I have to surrender my will to Him for that to happen. You might say to me, Laws, you don't know what my circumstances are. It's easy for you. Your circumstances are different. Your situation is different. You know what? I don't know what your circumstances are. There's no way I could know everything about your life. All of us share in battles. All of us share in hardship. All of us face difficult choices and trials in our lives, don't we? I want to leave you with one example of a man I know. How many choices do you have today? I know a man that for decades has laid in a bed who has lost all functionality to his body except for one thing. Except for one thing. He can't move his arms and his hands and his feet. He can't go anywhere. He can't spend any money that he has. He can't hug anyone. He can't tell anyone verbally that he loves them. He can't sing out like we did today. He only has the control of one eye. Of one eye. And for decades, he has spent his life laying in a bed with his one eye that is hooked up to a laser and glasses into which he can use that laser and those glasses to have Morse code into a computer that will communicate with those outside of his body. And he's a man of faith. Do you know how humbling it is to pray with someone who has lost all that but still hangs on to the thought of God, of a loving God? And I don't know how many choices you have in this life, but that man has said more with one eye than I can say in this entire sermon. What will you do with the choice that God has given you. It shows that He loves you. It shows that He cares about you. And today, each of us has to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. If you have never named the name of Christ in a real way, if you've never submitted yourself to His power and to His rule in your life, to His reign in your life, then we beg of you to work out your own salvation today. 
that it begins in faith, it begins in believing who Jesus is, that Jesus is different from all of those other people, that he interjected his life into your story. He died for you. And because of that, I I take responsibility for my life. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to turn from those things that hurt people and hurt me. And I confess Jesus to be the Son of the living God because He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And be baptized. Be baptized into the gospel for the remission of sins. And those sins are forgiven. And you begin to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Or maybe this morning you feel as if you've lost your way or you need prayers of encouragement or healing, we want to encourage you that we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.